never really to just sort of follow protocols to some sense. Um, we prided ourselves in, in breaking things to see how they work. The, one of the biggest jokes we, we used to say is the, the folks that I worked at my company are not the kind of folks you wanted running nuclear power plants because we, we really would want to just pull the levers and see what happens before uh, just, rather than reading the book. So, Welcome to Broken Benefits. I'm your host, Lee Lewis, and this is a podcast where we learn from top employer experts on how to fix our broken benefits to save lives, save dollars, and save your talent. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Broken Benefits. I'm your host, Lee Lewis, and today we are joined uh, by Eric Sosa. Eric was the lead, uh, you know, the lead benefits authority at Pepsi Company for over a decade and tried some of the most innovative experiments and programs within our field to test commonly held assumptions. And he pushed on those assumptions in order to discover value and find ways to better manage a health plan. So thrilled to have him here today, not only to teach us some things that he learned, but also to teach us how we can more effectively learn ourselves. Uh, with that, Eric, welcome to the show, and uh, so glad to have you here. Thanks, Lee. I'm happy to join you. Um, it's always uh, interesting to join a session that starts with bro fixing broken, ben broken benefit systems, but um, it, you know, it, it has been the goal of my career and continues to be um, you know, some of the impetus of my work post-retirement. Um, and if there's you know, things I can share, um, again, be, being, a, being in the head of benefits for over a decade means you've done a lot of things wrong and hopefully uh, people can pick up from those and carry the baton as opposed to following in my footsteps. So hopefully that helps. I love that. Maybe you can deconstruct your process a little bit for us. Like you were well known for, yeah, for, for creating innovative new ways to, to test concepts. Um, that I think stems from a different approach overall. And, uh, you know, share a little bit about that. Absolutely. I, I think it's it starts with, I think, kind of my training at PepsiCo and, and, and benefits was really a talk to really approach managing benefits very much like managing your business, um, you know, and really sort of understanding all aspects of the business, your cost basis, your supply chain, what are your health risks, what's your budget for the year, and sort of really not sort of, you know, relying on partners, but you're running a business, you're competing against an industry and sort of bringing that mindset of you know, trust, but verify, have mm -hmm. insights to your data, push your hypotheses and really pushing forward. So that sort of informed a lot of how I approach. And it was just, you know, a lot of the leaders I had in my past, I was very fortunate to have a lot of good mentors that continued to sort of push me to lead. And even the company itself was always expected um, never really to just sort of follow protocols to some sense. Um, we prided ourselves in, in breaking things to see how they worked. Uh, one of the biggest jokes we, we used to say is, the, the folks that I worked at my company are not the kind of folks you wanted running nuclear power plants because we, we really would want to just pull the levers and see what happens before uh, just rather than reading the book. So uh, that sort of sense of sort of you know pushing and testing things was really sort of informed uh, in sort of our approaches to the industry. Everyone, now just a quick word from today's sponsor. Hey, Dad, have you seen my PlayStation? People who work for companies just like yours are desperate for any way to pay their medical debt. Support your employees by giving them 100% medical coverage with Catalyze Health. I love that. What, what are some of the big 
either concepts, assumptions, or ideas that yeah. that you had a chance to test over that time? Yeah, I, I probably the, the one that sort of you know, was an early you know early language. You said I started as a teacher and came in from more, more as a pension actuary into the financial side, and sort of mm -hmm. really getting to the heart of what drove and kind of what our incentive system works in healthcare and. You know, when people come into this from the other parts of the business or from compensation or from anything else, sort of that realization that the incentive structure in healthcare, candidly, and I think you realize is broken. It, it doesn't work the way you would want it to. We don't really incentivize and pay providers to do the things we would hope as an employer to seek prevention, avoid costs, you know, really do all the things to manage the efficient use of resources that the reality of this healthcare system is built on doing things. And the more things they do, the more expensive things they do, the more they're rewarded. So having that understanding and, you know, not saying that you, know, you give up, but just understanding that that's the premise and that's the foundation you're building in. You're gonna have to find ways to, if, if you can't blow it up in certain areas, but how to bend it in directions that bring more value to the, to the benefit program. How do you sort of, bend that rewards reward system into something that can sort of meet the needs of a you know what you're trying to do with the health plan and what you're trying to do as an employer and finding a common ground the, the biggest uh, thing we spoke a lot about was sort of the concept of alignment and accountability the way the ancestors mm -hmm. works today it's not aligned and it's not accountable so how can you do things to bend towards aligning with partners so they're trying to do the same things that you're doing and then how do you hold them accountable? How do you bring in these sort of incentive and contractual provisions that make them accountable for the things that you're trying to do to help keep people healthy, to use efficient source of resources? You're not trying to not have people go to healthcare, but trying to use the system efficiently. Maybe break us or walk us through an example of, of uh, how you implemented that that principle in practice. Yeah, I think one of one of the pilots we were uh, looking at, one of the areas we sort of when we sort of took a step back and sort of what where the healthcare system works, what drives healthcare, is really trying to do some initiatives along the lines of advanced primary care. And recognizing that, you know, primary care, if you read the literature, primary care providers influence 90% of the healthcare decisions, but they really don't garner a lot of the money. So that seems to be a primary area to spend to say, if I can incentivize primary care to do the things we want them to do, drive prevention, steerage towards high efficient providers, uh, reduce emergency room visits and sort of those areas, can we sort of build a much more uh, aligned accounting system? So we built some pilots with it. Um, you know, when we sort of looked at, do you sort of completely build from scratch, <laughs> just kind mm -hmm. of one approach that employers do? Or do you try to leverage some of the infrastructure that exists in the world? And there's, there's two schools of thought in that. And I can't, not that one's right or wrong, but I think in, in our learning, you know, recognizing that most companies don't do healthcare strategy for their business. They're in the business for doing something else for some other product or some other right. And healthcare is, you know, something that they have to provide. They're interested in doing it well, but, you know, to the extent they do something other than that, if you try to customize or internally build, that takes a lot of resources, a lot of time, a lot of money. And some companies just either aren't willing to make those investments or going through. So sort of finding the right partners in the system to try to saying, hey, here's what we're trying to do. And if you're doing it with a health plan, that's where you sort of come into that sort of conflict. The health plan, you know, candidly, most of them are not built to manage healthcare. They're managed, they're built to build a network, 
have a broad network, adjudicate claims, pay providers, and really yeah. sort of do that intermediary. They're really not incentivized to manage healthcare, but they are an integral part of that ecosystem. That's where who owns the contract with the providers. So if you're trying to influence providers and primary care and things like we want different office hours to afford people to go to healthcare in the evening instead of right. where they can't go to, or have them invest in the systems needed to really drive good primary care. You know, can they get the data to tell them whether their patients went to the emergency room last week because they weren't managing their diabetes well, or you know, they're not compliant with their drugs, or they're managing diabetes and their A1Cs are still way above, above seven. So sort of they were like to go through sort of having trying to get a partner to, to invest in some of those things was a bit of a challenge. But I think you have to recognize mm -hmm. that health plans are looking to sell and they're looking to sell to companies. So if you mm -hmm. can help them build something that would be attractive to companies, you have sort of an area of alignment. And that's a little bit of kind of what we tried to do mm -hmm. in some of the pilots that I've worked on. It's just again, you're recognizing that you've got this infrastructure, this, this healthcare system that isn't perfectly aligned and will continue to move towards it. But if you can find a common path, that is a way you can sort of find a partner to, to in, uh, innovate with. Um, I think that was a big learning for me in terms of, you know, the, that whole spectrum of innovation, custom build versus finding partners. Um, you know, my experience is I've had little, I've had less success innovating in isolation. You know, the, the, mm -hmm. the true sense of innovation in a lab where you isolate for variables, you test a concept and then you try yeah. it out and then you roll it out to the way. That's not healthcare. Healthcare oh. is the proverbial changing the engine on the plane while you're in flight. And that's how right. you innovate. So I think, you know, for, you know, my experience was finding good partners to innovate was really one of the key areas that sort of allowed us to push forward. It's, it's never going to be perfect. It's never going to be the ideal, but it's always a constant bending towards something that sort of moves the industry forward. What makes a great partner? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. And I, I kind of goes back to the three things of kind of able, willing, and ready. <laughs> it's a kind of, <laughs> the, 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 you know, first of all, you know, are, are they, are they willing? And I think that's, you know, I've had partners that I, I thought, would be much more able to do it, but they just weren't willing. And partners that I said really may not be as able as I would have liked them, but they were much more willing to try. And, and when I meant that, are they willing to really do something that is contrary to their current business propositions? You know, are, mm. This is something that's going to be different. And are you willing to say we're carving this thing out? For someone, we're going to try something different. It might mean we have to build something customized. We might have to buy something customized. So kind of having a partner there. Um, the other aspect is, are they able? You know, do they really, as I said earlier, do they have the infrastructure? Do they have the networks that you're looking for? It might be as basic as that. Do they even have providers in the area you're looking for? Do they have the tools? Do they have the technology? Do they have the data to pull it forward? And then the last one is kind of that the, the a little bit more amorphous. Are they really willing to innovate with you or will innovate at you? And that's kind of a, a, a very big mm. decision I've seen in the industry where I've had innovator, I've gone to really, really good, smart, capable health plans. And I tell them what we're looking for. And, and they would kind of yes me to death and come back to me and say, okay, let me show you what innovation is. And invariably. Oh. It didn't work versus, you know, someone or a partner that would listen and say, okay, 
let's let me try this. How does this sound to you? How does this go through? As opposed to going off and kind of taking something off the shelf and just trying to sell it to me. So those kind of right. you know, come back to are are there are they willing? Are they able? And kind of are they really committed to it? Are they willing to innovate? Because the other the other worst thing you want to do is spend all this time aligning it internally in your organization, rolling it out to your employees and then having it die on the vine in two years or having to pull it within a year because then you lose all your credibility. So the right I can't say enough about finding the right partners that you know you have some trust in relationship that you're going to try to figure out some of this together. And it may be a little bit ugly, but a little bit messy, but you'll be moving the right in the right direction. What I love about this is you didn't once say fees, you didn't once say ROI, and you didn't mention, at least not directly, engagement. Now, those things are all really important. Yeah. But what I love about ready, willing, and able versus fees, savings, ROI, and engagement is that fees, you know, What's a high fee or a low fee? Well, it depends, right? Yeah. How much pushback do they give you every time you have a request? Yeah. How much nickel and diming do they give you after the fact when you need to change something, right? Yeah. And yeah. Um, and so fees aren't, they're never static. They're always, you know, they're, they're only, you're only ever able to evaluate a fee in the context of what else they're giving you. And then ROI, We've all experienced that ROI is extremely difficult to predict. And oftentimes, if you're not getting the ROI that you need or want, if you can change the program, you can, you can create an ROI. But sometimes that's not obvious on the front end. Yeah. And so if in the RFP, you're looking at that versus yeah. um, ready, willing, and able, you might find yourself in one sort of static path, realize you need to make a change. And then when you, and then yeah, either you yeah. can't do so, or they're not able to follow you. And yeah, I, anyway, I, I love that. I love that way of thinking about things because I think it's, I think it's dead on. Correct. I'm glad, I'm glad that it's, yeah. I, and it, it, it sort of another, it was kind of a ties to another learning of understanding the difference between the means and the end. And I think that's something that, right. that I've gotten confused with over the past, and we, you know, we can talk about some of those things in the, in the uh, later on. But you know, a classic example is transparency. I think transparency is very, very important, very, very critical in healthcare. Mm. But I think it, it becomes such a challenge that in many places it's become the end as opposed to the means. Transparency right. is not the end. <laughs> transparency is a means to unlocking value, gaining alignment, and accountability. And I think that's why the ready, willing, and able was kind of the end. The the fees, you ROI, you'll get to those things, but that's the that's the, the mean, but the end is a partner that can, you know, can really push and move the system together. So I, I'm glad that that sort of resonated with you. It's hard to estimate how many weeks per year benefits teams absolutely waste fighting with a recalcitrant vendor who's not aligned to you. They're aligned to themselves. They want to innovate at you, but they don't want you to push anything back on them. Yeah. and who aren't willing to change or adjust their business model. But there's, there's so, I don't know, it's, it's months and months of time each year that, that we get stuck in that. Yeah, um, and, yeah I, in my experience. Could, could, could not agree more. And, and I've always, I, you know, my personal, I've always 
loyalty is a word that we use, we throw around a lot, but I, I, you know, I, I, there was a level of that in sort of the partners I looked for, you know, I, I didn't throw partners out constantly. Uh, right. when, it, when I did, it was very decisive. <laughs> um, yeah. but, uh, you know, the, the reality and kind of the old adage is, you know, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Kind of also mm. helped form a lot of the things we did. So I, I would typically look for partners that, you know, if you're going to innovate and there, there has to be that level of trust and loyalty, because when you're innovating with them, you are going to see things you're not going to be happy about, particularly in the PBM yeah. space of the world. You are just going to see things that are going to drive you out of your mind. And you're going to have to recognize that they're opening the kimono, they're letting, you know, and you have to have that trust and loyalty that you're not going to completely like reach across the table and, and, and throttle them when you realize some of the things. But that loyalty and trust is important. So you, you, you're right. So like, you know, we did, I didn't like to throw out, when, when we, when I fired somebody, they knew it was coming and it was, you know, deliberate. It was very purposeful. It was very decisive. Um, right. I found more effective having partners that you could trust in a long time. That, that trust is very sacred. And if you blow it, it also goes. Through. That's wild. Take a minute to walk us through how, um, how you de-risk things. So, I mean, if we're breaking things and experimenting by nature, you are stepping into the unknown and that is a scary place. And uh, for many benefits managers, man, you, you throw a bad pitch and you know, you could even lose your job, right? It, would, it depends on how forgiving the environment yeah. is. <laughs> and I'm curious about how we de-risk in an environment where there's not a lot of forgiveness. And maybe you could also comment, if, if you can, on how you can create more forgiveness in the environment. Yeah, I, I think you're, you're spot on. And I, I think a lot of people get, um, I don't want to say lack of lack of courage, but they, they're 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 sensitized and probably oversensitive to the risk because if if you are breaking things, part of it is you know working in a, in a culture that that expects that. So I think I was fortunate in that. The other one is sort of um, showing the homework and showing the diligence. Um, mm. you know, I think it's it's you just can't you know be risky willy-nilly you've 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 got to align your stakeholders you've got to bring them along the way um you know the, the one of the big risky things we could talk about little 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 later was when we eliminated out of network benefits and yeah. it took a long time to get the business stakeholders aligned the first time you say it you know everyone you're like whoa you know you create but having a deep understanding of what was happening having a deep understanding of the numbers having a deep understanding of kind of here's the process that we're going to follow. We're going to communicate. Here's how we're going to ha handle exceptions. Here's how we're going to handle this. Um, sometimes, you know, things are so wacky, you, you do them in pilots. So that's a little bit more manageable. It's a little bit safer. Right. Maybe uh, sort of constrain the, the universe of what could happen or what yeah. will happen. Yeah. And making sure you do them. Um, and I, uh, there's a, a gentleman we both know who taught me this one phrase, doing it in the rhythm of the business. Mm. And so, you know, at certain parts of the business, they're super stressed, they're running 90 miles an hour. Well, then you don't pilot it during that period of the year, but you find right. it. So sort of making sure you've got um, kind of your stakeholders aligned, you understand the process. And if it goes wrong, I've had things that have gone wrong, but if you're, if, if they've been aligned and sort of part of that decision-making along the way, they own part of that as well. And, and sort of you go through and look, you know, 
all the lawsuits on due diligence and you know fiduciary liabilities comes down to not necessarily what the decision was, but how you went about making the decision. And I think that's important here. If you should have show the due diligence, that's not reckless. It's a calculated risk. It may go wrong. You understand the right. And if it doesn't go wrong, what's the impact? That's really been helpful for you know at least in in, in my history of saying, hey, you know, I'm I'm not going to be perfect every time. Um, but yeah. I wasn't reckless. <laughs> I may have been, you know, I may have taken a risk, but I wasn't reckless. I, I took a risk, but I wasn't reckless. Yeah. And how you made the decision is more important even than what decision you made. That's a really great, that's a great gem. Yeah. How do you communicate, how do you communicate these pretty bold and, and often nuanced initiatives? with people who are not healthcare wonks inside your organization? Uh, that is the, the, the biggest of challenges because I think all of us in benefits, so we, we, when you're sort of up and coming, you're speaking to other benefits people and you're inhaling your own exhaust and they, oh, they're all getting it. And that sounds great. And then you walk into the, you know, the, the division manager or the plant manager, or your CFO, and you get bounced out on your ear because you're not you have you don't even speak their language, um, right? Yeah, you 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 don't you, they don't even know what the hell you're talking about. So I, I um, one of the other things that's also been really important for me in, in billing through sort of what I'm going with that is I think it's the fifth habit of the highly of of, uh, of habits for highly effective people, and that's seeking first to understand then be understood. You, you, the first, the, when you're pitching something wild or something innovative, it better not be the first time you're meeting that stakeholder because you're starting with one foot in the ground. You, you've got to do your homework, get out ahead of time, get to understand their business, understand what's going on in the field. Is it a unionized population? Is it a not unionized population? Is it a growing business? Is it a, a segment of the business that might be not as growing might be more just sort of steady as you're going or might be looking for an acquisitive or they are R&D part of the business you know they all have differentiates a lot of companies particularly the large large companies don't have one culture there's a number of subcultures and sub things going in mm. so when you want to innovate or you want to do something you've got to understand your context and understand that first and then adapt what you're trying to do to that concept. That's been critical. I, and there have been many times that I've kind of walked in, you know, into meetings and started talking about, you know, you know, we're going to manage the health of our population. I'm talking to the business person who's like trying to make a, a, a deal. I, I remember there's right. one one episode where I was trying to, um, it was more on the pension side, something to do with multi-employer plans. And I was asking for $2 million. And I, I thought I had a really perfectly well thought out proposal the CFO was nodding. Yes, very well thought out. Great point. Yep. If we don't do it now, it's going to cost us more. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. And you need two million dollars, huh? No. No. <laughs> and and I, I was you know, shocked. I was like, "What?" He goes, "No." He goes, "You're you had some very cogent argument that's very well thought out. It's very well prepared." But, and I think this is a subtle, important for business benefits people when you go into the business. Your CFO is making ROI or value decisions. You know, even if you have a two to one ROI, that might not be enough because they're deciding between R&D, they're deciding between a business transaction, they're deciding to be a deal. So they've got to put it in that context to going, well, you're asking for two million, but I'm just about to buy and I'm making this buy, buy another business that I just need the cash. So right. sort of really understanding the context 
and then sort of being able to lay it in their you know, portray it in the language. And in a way they'll understand, look, this is going to be disruptive. Here's how we're going to manage the disruption and we'll go through it. We'll do it a different time of year or go through, but it's really about understanding once you leave benefits, you know, understanding the rhythm of the business and the context of what you're trying to do. Cause, and sometimes it just may not be the right time to do it, you know, and put it on the shelf. Um, I've always approached things being, you know, as a benefits leader, I said, I've always, I'm always a first year in a three-year strategy. <laughs> so Heading in things for next year, and maybe that gets penciled in for the year after or the year after that, or there's something else that might be happening in the business that might make this a better timing for that. You don't always have to do everything now. You've got to really be planful, just the way you would run a business. You don't do all your decisions now. You plan. You make sure you've got things laid out when they make sense. I just love that. I'm always in the first year of the three-year strategy. Yeah. The, uh, it was also guaranteed employment because I was never done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How do we how do we control prep and address uh, member disruption when we're trying something new? Uh, uh, what's the first part of that? Control. Oh yeah. So control plan and and prevent member disruption. If we know we're going to try something new, there's going to be sort of change or disruption. How do you handle that across? hundred thousand lives in yes, every city. Yeah, it's it's hard to do across a hundred thousand lives. And that's where the 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 pilot approach, you know, just was made things so much easier. Cause even when you go into the business, you go, so look, I'm, we're gonna try this in this area and if it works. So that was kind of part of it. But but some of the things that we did were national big things, changing a carrier or changing a PBM. Those, those are big. Um, right. Again, those meant to sort of you, if you've got to sort of understand where the pressure points are going to be and where understand where the disruption is going to come from. Just don't. And this is a um, if you can push back in a way that's not rude to the business end of it, because you know they don't want you coming into their office telling, you know, saying, oh, we got to disrupt the disruption. They just throw the word up disruption, but find right. the, the, the polite, you know, partnership way to say, okay, let's understand where the disruption is, what kind of that disruption is. And if you don't have the answer, well, let me, let me come back. Let me think about it, you know, and come back and say, let me give you an, a proposal plan then. So, you know, don't, my other sort of piece of advice is so to understand your, I, I hate the military analogies, but, you know, take your battles, pick your battles, understand what the ultimate goal is. And, you know, don't be afraid to say, you know, it's a great point. Let me take this back and go through. But pushing back and really sort of understanding, you know, the disruption in, in a respectful manner, not just because anyone can ease, oh, it's going to be very disruptive. I don't want to do it. Well, mm -hmm. where where is it going to be disruptive? Well, how about if we did this? How about if we gave a a transition period? How about if, you know, we understand, you know, the, uh, I'll use the out of network benefits one that for anyone who's ever contemplating that it was hugely successful from a lot of different areas, but they're hot pockets, you know, mm. behavioral health is a challenge. So you may want to treat behavioral health differently or behavioral health with children differently, just because you've got to carve them out. So it's sort of adapting what the ultimate goal is and sort of making sure you've understand where the hot pockets are and see if you can address them and go through. So I, I think a lot of it is really understanding what the disruption is and, and coming up with a plan that can mitigate that. And just, you know, don't, don't be afraid to say it's a good point. You know what? We're not ready. Let me come back. 
I think people will, will respect and admire that you're not willing to just ram something down their throats. I'd love to go through the the decision, using the decision as uh, around out-of-network benefits as kind of a case study, maybe. Um, how did you evaluate that strategy? And then once you realized, you know, oh, this is this is what we need to do, how did you execute on that and, and carry it through to success? Well, sorry, my team had kind of was looking at it for a year when they, you know, the first year I said, no, <laughs> I kind of throw back, no, I'm not being, I'm not going to be associated with, and even, you know, my history of choice, you know, we, you know, mm-hmm. businesses choice was such a, a, an integral part of your value proposition. You want to remove choice. Um, but it, it took, right. it took, and candidly, I also would push back and sort of try not to be deceived by point in time, um, analytics that okay. you know at any point in time some things look great and you know you, you've got to look at things this way and you got to look at things this way so mm-hmm. i really wanted to have sort of a couple two we did sort of two years look at what was happening in and outside of networks what mm-hmm. side you know what was the what was the um, exposure networks all of that so it took sort of a, a couple of years of sort of making sure what we were seeing was not episodic was truly something that could live because this wasn't going to decision you're going to do it one year and then immediately back it off the next year because you've lost credibility and were you just seeing that there were that the costs were a lot higher the outcomes were worse the fees yeah. and the, tons, the, tons of hidden fees are buried and out of network yeah and it, walk, the, walk us through the motivations on this one yeah so you're right the fees were higher but i think the one that was the piece that got us over the edge you're right fees were higher care was not integrated well um, funky things happen outside a network with lots of funky things. Then, you know, just we all, all of the stuff you really don't want to have happen. And then when you're in a, that then you sort of take a look at it said from the employee perspective, and this is the one that I think kind of put us over the edge, they're being done almost an injustice by being offered them the out of network providers. They're paying more. They're in a higher deductible plan. So they're paying more. They're not getting the care they needed. They're not getting the integrated care they needed. And in some cases, they're subject to questionable therapies and questionable things that were going on. Yeah. So when when you kind of put all of that together and the the icing or kind of the piece that puts you over is like, and this is better care for your employees, was the one that got the, the businesses kind of aligned and saying, yeah, you know what? And, you know, we have all the exceptions on distances and we're going to have the transition of care. We're going to do all of the right things that need to be to get through that. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's not just a financial matter. The piece that made this, this is better care for the employees. They're getting the concierge services. They're getting the other things that go with it. They're getting the integrated data. They're getting all of the, they're really getting what they should be. And I think that was the big factor in that. And then, you know, aligning the business going through the same reaction that I did when it came to me. You want to do what? <laughs> you know, Joan, just charge them more. Because that was the pushback. No, no, just charge them more for out of network. And then charge more and then it disincentivizes them. Yeah, but no. But that, people that's still not, get yeah, into it. That, that's first of all, inertia is really, really powerful. But at the end of the day, you're not treating our employees well. And I think that was the the North Star focus is this is a better treatment for our employees. And that kind of got folks aligned. So that was uh, a, 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 you know, and it wasn't, it was more of a tactical decision, but a very powerful and impactful one. And one that, you know, was 
counter to a lot of the, the, the premises we held about choice and all of those things. And um, it's an, um, a big learning. And I think, you know, we can talk about it later, but it also sort of informed a little bit of my um, change in perception of consumerism <laughs> over time. Yeah. Te pull the thread a little bit on that on consumerism. Um, yeah. I in my 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 big joke is that I tried finding the the educated healthcare consumer for years and and never succeeded. And every time I ran, you know, I battled to try and make one or, or encourage one. I ended up running up a white flag. So I, I was like, eh, I give up. I'm I'm never henceforth going to expect anyone to know anything about healthcare and, and just build programs accordingly. But uh, so you, you interested in knowing your process. Yeah, you had a little of the same experience that I did. And, and I think, you know, the, again, I'm not saying that all consumerism is bad. Um, so, again, I, I find all any kind of absolute is just, you know, is, is prone to being wrong. So I just don't speak in any absolutes. But I think what happened, you know, at least my observation with consumerism is it kind of became a little bit of a of a an easy way out for employers to say, we can't we can't make these decisions. We're just going to burden our employees with them yeah and, and you know if you started to think about the decisions we were asking them to make okay you got to make generics you've got to seek second opinion services you've got to look for freestanding you know go through all of these sort of things that we made and we you know we we kind of we turned benefits into something employees had to deal with as opposed mm -hmm. to something that brought value it's mm -hmm. like like Every time, oh crap! I got an EOB. I got to read this damn thing and try to figure out what the hell it says. Or I got a denial. I've got to jump through loops to figure out what was going on. So what we as employers have done is we just kind of we couldn't figure it out, and we just said, "Oh, we're going to make them educated consumers." And what we really did was just overburden employees. You know, and another one of my wise mentors said, "Look, if you want employees to not remember anything, tell them ten things." If you really want them to remember things, tell them three. And if I had three things I wanted to tell my employees, it's have a primary care doctor, take your preventions, get your annual physicals. If you, you know, if you can exercise, eat well. And if you have a health condition, manage it and let it. And we have tools that can help you. Those are the three things I think they are empowered to do. I think where we ran into play is we made them take on decisions that we could be doing, that we could be building into the, into the ecosystem. We should really push them and have them only make the decisions that they are the only ones that they can make. Now, we can't drive them to the physicals, but that, so that has to come from them. But we can make providers implement second opinion services. Why do we have to make employees do it? Why can't, you know, part of our healthcare plan, any doctor that prescribes, that prescribes spinal surgery, you know, Hey, you know what, doc, you've got to, you've got to get a second opinion before you can administer it. Make it part of the healthcare system. Hey, you know, you know, prescription drugs. Great idea. How did, did they just recommend to their friend or did they have to send them back to a, a service or yeah. how, did, how did they do that? That's just fascinating. Yeah. So, you know, uh, and even kind of some of the work we did in pharmacy, you're, you're managing, you know, diabetes for your patient. Your patient's A1Cs are below seven. Are they <coughs> year? Are they compliant? Are they not, are you not prescribing enough? Whatever, whatever the situation is, something needs to change. Do you, are you even getting the data as a provider of care? You'll go through. So I think there's a lot of things we can move upstream in the healthcare system to take some of all those decisions off. And really, again, 
make only make employees make the decisions that only they can make. And I think that's sort of the differentiation of consumerism. I think I think we made we way overburdened them with 15,000 decisions that at the end of the day didn't really drive. They didn't really drive good health. They just saved some money for us <laughs> as the employer and, you know, just, you know, created a burden for employees to have to deal with. Everyone now just a quick word from today's sponsor. Hello. Hi, I'm here to pick up a prescription. Okay. Okay, your total is $80. But I have insurance. Uh, we ran your insurance, that's just your copay. Can you hold on to that for me? I'll be back later. 58 million American adults can't afford their prescriptions. Many of these people work for companies just like yours. Start giving your employees 100% medical coverage with Catalyze Health. I think, well, I, I love that quote, just in terms of thinking about how we engage and design a plan is design a plan such that everything that we can do responsibly, we do, and leave only those things to the patient that only the patient can do or, that, or, or can do better, certainly better than we could. Um, the only thing people want more than unlimited choice is one great choice that's easy, one great, easy choice. And um, the problem is, is it's very hard for us to deliver one good, great, yeah. easy choice. And so we're, our default is we have to give them everything. Right. And um, anyway, your, I think your approach there is, is awesome. If, yeah. if you look back at kind of the 10 years, what were the biggest wins that you had during your career? What, what were some of those and, and uh, what were the conditions that led to them? Yeah, I, I think the, the, the the one I would say is probably the the biggest um, uh, win. Um, it was kind of putting in a the concierge advocacy type programs within the health plan um, without going you know without going to the industry. And I think the the part of that was kind of coming off the tail end of like the, that whole that whole realization about consumerism. We're really we're make we've made healthcare difficult. We need benefits, something to deal with. And so that we had a rallying right. cry of, of how do we, you know, I, I, I love the, the rallying cry of like, Hey, let's put the benefit back in benefits. <laughs> you know, these yeah. are supposed to help people, to people value. Yeah. This is, this is supposed to help them live better. It's supposed to help them with their health. So what we kind of looked at the healthcare system, it's fragmented as we all know, you've got point solutions here. It was kind of the early advent of the point solution, uh, program. So we're kind of like seeing just yeah. even the fragmented parts of healthcare systems and kind of said, we, what we need is, you know, you know, the back of the ID card had 13 phone numbers on it, you know, the typical ID card. So like, you know, we're going to, we're going to create one and we're going to change the rules of engagement. It's not about, you know, call speed to answer handling calls. And it's how do we kind of help navigate employees or bring employees through the healthcare system, but also in a way that tried not to create artificial points of engagement. Uh, and, I, and I'm trying not to mention what vendor names because I don't want to go through, but just sort of looking at, so how do you leverage some of the existing plumbing or some of the existing natural engagement points? So we went to the health plan and actually built an engagement platform. 
And mm-hmm. kind of say, your job is not just to answer questions. We're going to equip you with broad senses of data. We're going to equip you with all the information. You are not powered just to answer questions. You are powered to ask them and recognize mm-hmm. where employees may have a gap in care, where employees may be looking for resources and bringing them awareness to them. So, you know, the, you know, someone calls up for an EOB on a first time cancer diagnosis. Your answer is your job is not just to answer how that claim is paid, but to understand that that's a cancer diagnosis. That might be an opportunity for behavioral health engagement, someone to talk to, or you have a disease, pro- you have a cancer program for, you know, best of practices and, you know, centers of excellence, you can inform the employee. And so your job is not to get off the phone fast. It's actually the opposite. It's to ask, follow up, see how they're doing. And guess what? You're going to call them in a month to see how it's going. And you're going to do the reach out call. And it, takes, it takes a little while for employees to, to, you know, to actually answer the phone. It's been hard, but it, it was probably the single most value added thing we did to employee populations. We got more wow, thank you, like unsolicited thank yous from employees. And something as simple as, as trying to solve an EOB. Like I've had this EOB out, you know, outstanding for 18 months, couldn't get it fixed. The person, the new, uh, I'll try to avoid the branding name, took it, ran with it, got it fixed, resolved it. It's the best thing that's ever happened. I've used it personally when I've had to get um, surgery. All right. Where can I go for the hospital? Give me the information. Set, they'll do the research for the doctor for me. So you're leveraging the, the the pieces that were the kernels of consumerism, but I've made a healthcare expert who can interpret it be able to bring it forward. And that was probably mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't a huge design, but it really you know and it, and it in many ways put the benefit back in benefits for a lot of our employees because it actually helped hit the people that needed healthcare the most were in the most critical conditions, didn't know where to find a provider. It sort of hopefully got them from asking their neighbor for the specialist or, you know, the doctor saying, you know, we'll, we'll get you someone that's, you know, highly rated within network and all of those things. And just the health and some of it was just the call. Hey, how's it going? Anything I can do for you? Hey, I'm doing great. I'm fine. But just wow. giving someone the sense that they cared. It was the single most Im- impactful thing that we did. Didn't, you know, I, I don't, and, don't ask me what the ROI was because I don't know. <laughs> sure, but I, but I do know that people, our people our, noticed. Yeah, people noticed our adherence with programs was higher than most of their book of business. Um, our you know closing gaps was better than their book of business. So uh, some of those things you you know you, you to try to be spoo- like oh the ROI for this is this you know if you try if you can if I added up all the ROIs that my vendors promised me <laughs> I would be making money on benefits. <laughs> um, <but laughs> I love that the I I love that I love the approach there of I don't know just. To, finding a way to build that in using existing infrastructure in order to move quickly. Now, I'm guessing this is, you know, early days of quantum health and accolade. And what I'm hearing is, as you went back to the carrier and said, here's the design. I'm sure you want to keep these services in house. And in theory, if you're doing a great job, I don't have need for anything else. Um, 
here's the design that I'd like you to follow. And, and, um, and you implemented that with them. What's wild is that, you know, sitting here now in 2022, 23, et cetera, the carriers are still just sort of tripping over themselves, trying to figure out what yeah. sounds like you were able to successfully build with a carrier years ago. Yeah. Um, it, it, yeah. It, it, you're, you're right. And it, it took a lot and that's where, you know, we, we, it, it took a lot for us to build. It took a lot for us to maintain it as well. Like, so you know, we twice a year went up there, listened to, you know, listened to the members. It was a dedicated team and it, and it became, and this is another kind of win-win where it became a, a kind of the, the, the A team within the carrier and even their internal reps were like, Oh, I'd like to get on that team because they really, the, the other piece I've sort of learned is outside oh. of, like hospital executives and other parts, most people in the healthcare industry that are that treat patients want to do the right thing. They, they really do. They went to med school to treat. You know, and I, I think so. Almost some of this was almost just like empowering them and letting them loose to do what they wanted to do. You know, you went into the into this business because you wanted to help other people, and then you ended up getting jaded because it all became for the profit. So, you, you we almost so. It was sort of that core part of the healthcare business. If you sort of recognize that mm-hmm. you want to do the right thing, the executives who run the financials I'll reserve judgment on that end of the business. Sure, but, but most I'm of the hearing, yeah, there's and, that. There's this almost thinking of it like a resource, like a gold or a platinum ore down in the rock. That there's a ton of good faith and positive uh, uh, desire and motivation that exists within the providers that gets trampled upon by some of the, just the way the system's set up. And that if you can realign some of that, there's sort of this wellspring of, of people who want to do the right thing. You just need to find better ways to unleash it. I don't know. I'm trying to repeat back to, I think the yeah, idea that I'm hearing yeah. here. I, I agree, and, and I've also tried. I mean, there, there's, there is a, uh, without going, there is a lot of bad behavior in healthcare. But I found just about my concept of not speaking in absolutes. I've also found that vilifying or demonizing any aspect of the healthcare industry, you know, doesn't doesn't you know, just look at our political environment doesn't find a way path forward. So, right. I'm not saying that the crap doesn't happen, but right. But, but focusing just on that, it, it, that doesn't advance the mission. Mission no. is advanced when we can appeal to our, you know, our better angels and, yeah. and then move forward with that intent. Yeah. How do we realign the system? And what are, what are, what's the easy fruit and incentive realignment? Oh, God, I, w- I wish it was. I, for me, it just kind of comes down to, to always kind of try. We're not, I'm not sure we're going to fully change it in any direction. And I think you right. know, the, the bigger change sort of comes in bending in that direction. So, you know, I, I, I think the power of employers and the power of organization is, you know, under, under, I think we've unrealized the, the potential there. I think that there aren't lots of parts of the industry that are really looking for efficient global health care. It's, you know, Medicare and we'll, you can debate on how effective they are. And then the employer side of the house. And so to the, Employers trying to do it on their own, and I, I, has, no matter how big as you are, even if you're really huge, 
you might be concentrated in one part of the country. Maybe you can affect change in this area. So I think the employer voices getting together is really important to kind of saying, this is what we need. And if I have one other sort of PSA, and I, I you know, still do some mission-related work with Eric and the risk industry committee, a lot of the employer organizations like HTA, Business Group on Health and all, the, to the extent you all represent employers, but to the extent you can sort of find some common themes and common messaging, because I think that's one of the biggest challenges I think happens in the, the industry is if, you know, if I'm hearing what this group says is important as this, and this group is important this, and this group isn't looking for bundled payments, and this group is looking for this, the healthcare industry is like, well, look, you're all asking for something different. Therefore, I'm just going to proceed as I'm doing today. So I do believe in sort of, you know, everyone has their own missions, but if there are things that are common, if they hear the same thing from four of the groups, then they'll recognize that, yeah, we probably do need to change because I do think they need to be pushed. I think they need to go through. But I think the more we fragment our voices as employers in this industry, I think the, the harder it is to, to effectuate change. If you want your patient to remember nothing, tell them 10 things. <laughs> if you want the industry to do nothing, ask them for 10 things. You got it. <laughs> the, okay. but, uh, there, there was uh, another quote from someone we know dearly, know well dearly. It said, give me fewer bolder strokes. <laughs> don't give me like, don't ankle bite the, you know, Give me three, you know, and there's a lots of, you know, fight. I'm a big Jet fan. <laughs> Keep the important thing the most important thing. <laughs> and that's what's yeah. happening with Jets. You know, the little stuff will come by, but keep your shoulder behind the important things. It's a great reminder. And it's a great place, I think, to kind of wrap this, yeah. this concept and this, this conversation. This has been wonderful. Great insights here. I know that you're still very much engaged in the mission, working in a number of different areas, whether it be consulting and advisement. If somebody is looking to get in touch with you, can they find you on LinkedIn? Is that a good place to reach out or is there a website or somewhere else? Yeah, they're, they're, yeah, they're, that's probably the best place to reach out to me. Again, I've um, re recently retired. I, I do have a website, but it's still under construction. It probably has been for the last year. <laughs> but LinkedIn is the best. My uh, I have an email address. But yeah, so I'm doing kind of combination of some advising, you know, for the, the digital area and then some mission related work because you know, I'm still working with Eric. I do think there's you know, again, policy in D.C. Similarly, I think a lot of the stuff that has come out of D.C., it's kind of goofy in the past because they just didn't have the understanding. So to the extent we, I can help lend the voice of here's what employers are seeing and issues. They've also, my conversations with Congress and testifying before Congress, they are trying to do the right thing. They just don't always know what it is. So trying to push on the policy to push that forward as well as try to push the industry. So um, uh, that's, that is kind of my mission in life now. And, enjoying being able to do it on my time, which is uh, the beauty of being in the retired state. I love that. Well, thank you so much for everything. This has been terrific and, uh, and for sharing some of your time today. My pleasure. It's good talking to you. Have a good one. Thanks for joining us on Broken Benefits. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to our YouTube channel or on your favorite podcasting platform. Also, please share today's show with a friend or colleague. It's free to do and it helps us spread the message to as many people as possible. Until next time.